Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Well, would you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we thank Jason for filling in for Tim. Tim's with his family, a very special day for his family over in Knoxville. Some very special things going on today, and we're grateful for Jason being with us. Even though he's just married, he's just doing fine, isn't he? He, he can still smile, so everything's all right. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start in with verse 12 in a moment or two, and I simply want to address the title, All for One and One for All. Now, how many times in this pulpit have you heard the statement that we're free in Christ Jesus? I, mean, I don't know how many times we've said it over the years, but also, how many times have you heard us qualify that and let us everybody know that freedom in Christ does not mean the right to do as you please, but the power to do as you should. Freedom is not license, but freedom under grace is the enabling power of God, Him living in us and through us to be what He wants us to be. Now, as believers, the only way we're ever going to be about the things that God wants is when we live attached to Him. That's the whole theme of 1 Corinthians. They lived attached to everything but Him. But when we live attached to Him, surrendered to Him, putting it in another way, that's when we begin to be about the purposes God has for us in our life. Now in chapter 12, Paul has beautifully emphasized the one source of all gifts or any manifestation that, uh, that, that comes in a spiritual sense. And that is God the Spirit in verse four, God the Son in verse five, and God the Father in verse six. Now we know that if it's truly of God, these gifts and manifestations, they all track back to him. They all must somehow speak of him. Paul has laid that groundwork. And then also Paul has shown us in verse 7 of chapter 12 that any time that the Spirit of God manifests himself through us, it is for the common good. It's to bring attention to Christ and for the common good of the body. Now these are just principles he's laid out. When God chooses to do something, it's for the benefit of the whole body and it's to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. In short, the purpose of gifts, any gift, is to glorify, to edify, and to unify the body of Christ and to glorify Christ. To edify, to unify the body of Christ and to glorify Christ. When we have presented our bodies as living sacrifices to Him. Now, I don't know how many times we have read those verses, but let me just read them to you again in Romans chapter 12. And it, and it really fits with what he's saying here in Corinthians. He says in Romans 12, 1, I urge you therefore, brethren. In other words, Paul says, I get down on my knees and I plead for you, brethren. 
by the mercies of God that he's just beautifully expounded for 11 chapters of Romans. He says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There is no other way to worship him except don't give him gifts, give him yourself. Present yourself. If he has you, he has everything that you have. And then in verse two he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. That word means test it to see for yourself what the will of God is. You don't have to live off somebody else's testimony. If you live surrendered, you can test the will of God for yourself and you will see that it is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now that's it, that's it, that's the whole message. I believe he's even trying to drive home again in chapter 12 through 14 of Corinthians. If we'll just live surrendered, stop focusing on the gift, focus on the giver. And as you live surrendered to him, presenting yourself to him, then he allows you to be a part of what he and he alone can do. This is the only time, by the way, you can appreciate that the gifts that are in the body of Christ is when you're living surrendered to him. We have no business focusing on gifts at all until we're focused on the giver. Well, the case in Corinth was not a group of people living surrendered to Christ. And this is what you gotta see. He's addressing that era. They lived attached to everything but Christ. And as a result, Christ was not glorified. He was not glorified. And as a result of that, there were all kinds of divisions in the church many of them particularly over gifts. They were more interested in gifts and manifestations than they were in the Lord Jesus himself. Well, we come today to that part of chapter 12 where we're a member of the body of Christ. Now, last week we were reminded, we took a peek over into verse 12 in the first part of verse 13 and realized that all of us as believers are a part of his body on this earth today. It says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12, for even as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 13 says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. That's an incredible picture to me. I don't know how your mind works, but that's an incredible picture to me. To know that I didn't find him, he found me. And when I finally responded to him in the faith that he gave me to respond, he came to live in me and made me a part of his body on this earth. I'm a part of his body. You know, you ever think about the fact that you don't have any purpose in life? Are you kidding me? If you're a believer, you certainly do. You ever think about the fact that people reject you around you? Hey, they're gonna do that. But he has accepted you. You're a part of his body. He's made you a part of his body on this earth. In Ephesians 1, it says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet, speaking of Jesus, and gave him his head over all things to the church, it goes on to say, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In Ephesians 5 and verse 30, he says, because we are members of his body. In Colossians 1, it says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. But as members of the body of Christ, this, this is what we've got to see, not members of a Baptist church, members of the body of Christ, we have got to understand what that means. If we don't, we'll divide over gifts. If we don't, we'll be confused with doctrine. We've got to come and understand what does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ. And of course the message is gonna carry itself all the way through this. All for one, 
and one for all. First of all, we are unified in his body. We're unified in his body. It says in verse 12 again, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, in his first statement here, and it's a lot of words sometimes, but in his first statement, Paul is referring to the human body. He says, for even as the body is one and yet has many members. You see, a human body is one in the same life. Now, hang on to this. It's one in the same life. Spreading out into the plurality of members with different functions, each member attached to another as members of the organism and each laboring for the welfare of the whole. Now, that's exactly why he's using the human body. He wants you to see that the body of Christ is comparatively the same. In other words, it's one life, but it's, it's spread out into the plurality of functions and the, the, the diversity of members, and yet each one of them attached to one another by the life that's in them, and also each one of them working for the whole. There are many parts of the human body, and they're all fused together by the life that is within the body. The functions are different, but there's only one body. Now, as the text goes on, Paul doesn't specifically outline each member of the body. And I think that's significant. I've always said he's not teaching gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. He's correcting error. He doesn't go through and list all the different members in the different parts of the body. As a matter of fact, he only brings up the ones that all of us would be familiar with. He, the foot and the hand are mentioned in verse 15. Look down at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it is, is it not for this reason any the less part of the body? The ear and the eye are mentioned in verse 16. He says, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this, is it, it is not, is it not for this reason any part of the, less a part of the body? I get my words tied up. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. <laughs> By the, I had a hearing aid blowout again. And it's in the shop. And Diana says one of the first things she notices when I don't have my hearing aid in is I can't hear my words until they're all running together. So you hang with me. If I run a few together, raise your hand if you finish before I do. I, I hope I won't do that. Now his point, his point that he's bringing out is the multiplicity of the members of the body, the diversity of the functions of the body, but also the unity of all the members of many parts, one body. Now he begins verse 12 with the little word for. The word is gar. It's a causative participle. It stands after a point has already been made and expresses the reason for what has been before. In other words, he's about to explain something. He's just come out of something, he's about to explain it. The little word as, for even as, in the phrase even as, lets us know that a comparison is, is coming up. He's gonna compare the human body with the body of Christ. But he's tying all of that with verse 11. Remember verse 11? Go back to verse 11. He says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Vulame, it's the word he wishes, he desires. Now, there is a purpose that the Holy Spirit of God does this in Jason's life and does this in Haywood's life and does that in Wayne's life and does that in Roger's life. The Holy Spirit knows what's going on. He's the embodiment, he is God. He's the Father, the Son, acting through the, the personality of the Holy Spirit. He knows what's going on. He has a purpose being in us and what his purpose is, and his assignment is to cause the body of Christ through the many diverse members, through the many diverse gifts 
to cause the body of Christ to function in such a way that Christ is glorified. So he gives the gifts as he desires because it's like the human body. The human body is not for itself, it's for the whole and just like it is in the body of Christ. There's no gift given, no manifestation given that somehow it's not to point back to the life that is within it. It's for the benefit of the whole body and for the glorification of the life that we have. Now in verse 12, Paul actually says the same thing two times. He says, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body. <laughs> there's no doubt what he's saying here. He says it twice. The body is one, and there's only one body. But then he makes his comparison. And we've already got the human body in our minds. But he puts the human body right here, and he, he holds it up and says, now look at the human body. Understand what it is. It's one body, many members, all of it diverse, but all of it living for the whole, because if the life is not sustained, then the body dies. Now he says, that's the human body. And then he turns and says, so also is Christ. Now, I know my mind works a little different, but have you ever wondered why he didn't say, so also is the church? You know, immediately it comes to our minds. Oh, no, no, no. He speaks of the church. No, no, no. Why does he say, so also is Christ? Why does he point back? to the one in whose body that we're in here on this earth. And I'll tell you why. Because he doesn't want them for one second. In Corinth, it's become an organization. And what he's pointing them back to is the organism of Christ. This is so important. So also is Christ. As you're born of the Spirit of God, you are birthed into the kingdom of God and you are placed into the body of Christ. Now living in the Bible Belt of the country where the organization is everything to churches, it is imperative we understand this. He didn't say the Baptist church. He didn't say the Presbyterian church. He didn't say the Methodist church. He didn't say the Episcopal church. He said Christ. It's the body of Christ. What he means by that is there are many people in the Baptist church that are gonna bust hell wide open. They've joined the church, missed Jesus a million miles and you can watch their lifestyle, no root, no fruit. But in the Baptist church, there are people that have been birthed into the body of Christ. In the Presbyterian church, listen, in the Catholic church, now I know that grates a lot of people, but I want you to know, I know people that are Roman Catholic that are born again believers that stay in that church to evangelize as many as they possibly can. In the Greek Orthodox church in Romania, there's a group called the Lord's Army and they stayed in the Greek Orthodox church to evangelize the people with the gospel of Christ. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying, listen, come away from that denominational thing that you think of as church and come back to the principle and the truth that you're a part of the body of Christ. Only one body, only one body. All kinds of tags hanging on their garments. I'm Baptist, I'm Methodist, I'm whatever. <laughs> I'm his and his alone. Yeah, bless your heart. But the body of Christ. You see, we're a part of his body through salvation. The Bible never refers to a body of Christians it only refers to the body of Christ. And Christians are members of the body of Christ. I think his whole point is that we recognize our differences in the body, that we recognize the multiplicity of members that are in the body, but also we recognize that it's only one body. 
Now, he doesn't emphasize here because he's not talking about it as he does in other places. He doesn't emphasize the fact that it only has one head, but you could throw that in just to kind of get the image correct where we are. There's only one body. There's only one head to the body, and we're members of that body. When you become a believer, you are put into the body of Christ. In his comparison in verse 12, he's trying to show us that even as the members of the body are different, and many members of a human body, they're all fused together by the life that is in it, the same way it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his body, even though we're diverse in function and, and many, many, and we speak different languages, we're all over the world, we're fused together in his body by the life that is in that body. Without the life, you have no body. The emphasis is never on what, who we are and, and the function that we have. The emphasis is always on the life that makes the body live, the life that is in the body. That's the Lord Jesus. And he's the head of the body. You take away the life. You can have an organization, but there's no life in it. There's no body. It can be an organization, but it can't be an organism. You've got to have life to make something an organism, like in the human body. And in the church, Jesus is that life. That's why it's so imperative to realize that it, what my function is and what my gift is, as different as it might be from yours, has really nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with the fact of who he is and my willingness to surrender to him for the benefit of the whole body of Christ. It's incredible to me how many times you can go to an organizational church and you can see and it looks on the surface to be healthy. But is it healthy? Only life can breed life. Have you ever watched a human die? And I, I don't want to bring up anything that's tender to anybody or cause any kinds of problems. But since he's using the human body as an example, it came to me. I've been with about three or four people over my ministry that have died while I was in their presence. But the one that I remember the most was a young man, about 18 years old, had no family we knew of in the area who had OD'd and they called me because I was at a First Baptist Church as a pastor down in Mississippi and they called me to come because there was no family, nobody to be with him. He had OD'd. They, th they thought that he had, they didn't catch it in time. And I remember walking into that room seeing a massive, healthy looking body. I mean arms that were well defined and a big, huge chest, not fat, not a bit of fat on him and just a big, built, strapping guy of about six feet four lying there on the table and they had all kinds of things plugged to him, et cetera. And I sat there and watched the life go out of him. If you've never seen that, you don't understand what Paul's talking about here. The life was breathed in, the life leaves at death. Of course, we know that from Scripture. It says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you take the life out of something, you have nothing left except maybe what appears to be healthy but is what in reality is nothing more than organized dead flesh. Only with the life can the organism live. See, that's the whole point. Paul continually brings them back. It's the giver, not the gift. Being attached to the giver, so also is Christ. Many members, but one body, and it's the body of Christ on this earth. Now, Paul addresses how we became one in his body. In the next statement that he makes here in verse 13, we are baptized by one spirit. Look at verse 13. How do we all become one? As different as we are, as, as different cultures that we may come from, how do we become one in his body? It says in verse 13, for by one spirit, 
We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now, the first thing I've got to cover before we go any further is that when he says baptized here, he in no way is referring to water baptism. <laughs> it's amazing how many people that are caught up in that, thinking that you have to be water baptized to be saved, jump on any verse that even mentions baptism because they think it's referring to water baptism. He says, no, for by one spirit, we were all baptized. The baptism he speaks of here is a spiritual baptism. It's our salvation. Water is not even remotely implied here. Water baptism is not a part of the gospel of our salvation. Matter of fact, if you've forgotten that, look back in chapter one of 1 Corinthians verse 17. I don't know if you have had run into this with anybody and maybe it's in your family, maybe you're here and you think that. But personally, I think you're wrong. <laughs> I love you, but you're just flat out wrong. Baptism, water baptism, has nothing to do with a person's salvation. You say, no, it isn't. It's part of the gospel. Is it really? Look in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17. This is what we have got to deal with, folks. There are so many confused people about this. You mentioned baptism, they think you're talking about water baptism. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians 1. He says, for Christ, now this is Paul speaking, the greatest missionary, preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles in the New Testament, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Look here. But to preach the what? The gospel. Well, now wait a minute. I thought baptism was part of the gospel. He says, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should be made void. You know how to make the cross of Christ void? You add anything to what Jesus did there. You add any work, any work that a man can do and earn in any way, you have just killed the message of grace. For we're saved by grace and by faith, lest any man should boast. So he's not talking about, I was, we were over in Germany at the uh, Protestant Women of the Chapel conference over there. Precious lady came to me, but I want to tell you something. She was a convinced lady. Have you been around many convinced precious ladies? Sometimes you lose sight of whether or not they're precious or not by the fact that they're so convinced. <laughs> and I mean, she bore down on me, so, oh son. And she said, I want to talk to you about baptism and put me into the middle of an arena. And when she said it, about 15 others came and gathered around to see what Wayne was gonna say. Well, it took about two hours of an afternoon which I had hoped to take a nap. <laughs> but we spent back and forth, back and One of the first things I noticed was she would not tolerate any other verses that she had not herself been taught. She wouldn't look at other scriptures. And the second thing I saw was that even though you had an answer for her, it didn't answer her if she had not gotten satisfied. And I mean, we went back and forth and back and forth. But thank God, before it was over with, she said, well, I had never, ever thought about that before. You got a lot of people, folks, that have been, it's been ingrained in their minds that you've got to be water baptized to be saved. But that's not what he's talking about here. How do we become one in the body of Christ? We were all baptized into one body. It says by the Spirit, but we're going to deal with that and just say, for by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, if you read this wrongly, it appears the Holy Spirit takes us and baptizes us into the body of Christ when you get saved. No, that is not what happens. In Scripture, there is no baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> Nowhere in Scripture does it say that the Holy Spirit baptizes anybody into the body of Christ. For instance, go over to Matthew chapter three and verse 11. We'll find out who does the baptizing. 
John, uh, Matthew chapter three, verse 11. And John the Baptist is speaking here, speaking of Jesus who's coming after him, of course. Some people say, well, why was Jesus baptized then? <laughs> oh, friend, that was the first time that he identified with sinners on this earth. And it was to fulfill the righteousness of God. He didn't come as a sinner to be baptized. He simply identified with sinners and he identified with their sin when he went to the cross. He was just making his identification. He's the only man, the God man, that could die for our sin. And so he identifies with them, not as a sinner, but he identifies with them with all sinners so that one day he can go and die for their sin. Matthew chapter three and verse 11. John the Baptist says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, for he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now this indicates it was Christ who would be doing the baptism, and the Holy Spirit would be the element, so to speak, that we would be baptized with. So the whole idea of we're baptized into one body by the Spirit means with or by the means of the Holy Spirit. Just like when you're water baptized, you're baptized with the means of water. When you're baptized into the body of Christ by Christ himself, you're baptized with or by the means of the Holy Spirit of God. It is with or by the means of the Holy Spirit of God that all of us, no one excluded, that Christ baptizes us into the body of Christ. We are baptized, all of us came in the same way. Now I'm taking something that we could spend weeks on and I'm trying to simplify it and bring it down to a point. What Paul is saying is, listen, we're all one and the thing that made us one, we're all saved the same way. We all came in the same way. It was the same Holy Spirit that we were baptized with into the body of Christ. Well, the point is that we're not, there's no uniformity in the body of Christ, but there is unity because of the way we came in and the life of, the, of God that's, that's within us. Uh, the idea of uniformity, we don't dress the same. <laughs> we don't look the same, thank God. We don't uh, say the same things all the time, but what makes us one is not uniformity, but divine unity in the body of Christ. We're all baptized with or by the means of the same spirit. And there's no class system in Christ. This one didn't come in this way, and this one didn't come in that way. And when they're in, coming in the same way, they're equal once they're in. In verse 13, for by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now do you realize what he just did here? He drew two comparisons. Jews, he puts them over here. Gentiles, he puts them over here. Slaves, he puts them over here. And free men, over here. Now he puts in two, and the gulf that spans both of them is what he wants you to see. What took this person who's so far and radically different from this person and made them one in the body of Christ was an absolute miracle of salvation. And for the Jew to be equated with the Gentile, is that not incredible? Paul said in Ephesians 3, I'm, it's a mystery to me. It's a mystery to me how that the two can be made one. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 2, Paul says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace, speaking of Christ, who made both groups into one, the Jew and the Gentile, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. Incredible 
how the Jew came in the same way that the Gentile comes in. And we're all baptized with the means of of one spirit into the body of Christ. This is what fuses us together. This is what takes tremendous differences and somehow, in spite of that, fuses two people into one new man. He goes on and and carries a comparison even further. He said the slave and the free man. What, What could be any greater gulf than a slave of their day who had nothing and a free man, a free man who actually had slaves. I mean, there was a huge difference here. And yet, they had to both come the same way. And they had to come in through Christ and baptize into his body with or by the means of the Holy Spirit of God. And so therefore, the Jew and the Gentile were fused together and the slave and the free man were fused together in the unifying power of the Holy Spirit now that lives in us. We all came in the same way. The same Holy Spirit lives in us, lives in others. And we're in one body. We're different. We are many, but we're one. Made one because we're all baptized with or by the means of the same Spirit. Remember back in the first part of the chapter, he said it's the same Spirit that gives the gifts. Then he comes on down later on and says the sameness of the Spirit. He talks a self-same Spirit again. Same Spirit that gives the gifts is the one who unified us all in the body of Christ. That's what made us one. That's what made us one. Thirdly, we are nourished by one fountain. There's only one fountain to be nourished from. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now the drinking of the spirit to me is practically the same as being baptized with or by the means of the spirit. But in the same time, it's uniquely different. Remember the words of Jesus. Go back to John chapter 7, 37 and 39. And he told them, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And he spoke of the Holy Spirit of God that they would be able to drink from. John chapter 7 and verse 37. Look over there for a second. John 7 and verse 37. It says in verse 37 of John 7, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, what's he speaking of? What's he talking about? Verse 39. But this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. It appears to me that the drinking of the Holy Spirit of God is that which takes place as a result of being baptized with or by the means of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. I think he refers here to what occurred at salvation, the infilling of the Holy Spirit that came to live in us. This would include the giving of the gifts and and, uh, amongst other things. When, When we were baptized with or by the means of the Spirit, now we have him, he has infilled us. We have drank now of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is the one who gives us the gifts and makes us functional in the body of Christ. We were plunged into Christ as we died with him. And as we were raised to walk in newness of life, we were made to drink from the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. The believer now is totally influenced by the Holy Spirit that is in him. You know, they have so many people today still walking and living as if there's another experience out there somewhere. And that's so wrong. You have the Holy Spirit. You were baptized with or by the means of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ and also made to drink of the Holy Spirit. So he has infilled you, and by infilling you, he also has imparted gifts to you and to me and makes us functional in the body of Christ. There's so many things that can be wrapped around this term, drink of the Holy Spirit. 
The believer is now to be totally influenced by the Spirit of God as he infuses life in us and through us. The word drinking really caught my attention. The word drinking has the whole idea of a parched life that is needing so desperately the water that only God can give. A parched, dry life. You know, if you've ever tried religion, back to the organizational thing, and you want to try that for size, and you don't like what you're hearing about the life that we have in Christ, then you go back, but I want to tell you, it won't be long before it's a parched land in your life. And you're going to be desperate for the water, the drinking, you see, of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit that came, that, that puts new meaning into our life. It's the Holy Spirit in our life that gives us a sense of purpose. It's the Holy Spirit of God that makes us functional in the body of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us to manifest the character of Christ in us and the joy that we have and the fruit of his spirit is love and joy and peace and all the things we're looking for and it's like water to parched land. We were over in Germany. There was a little gal, another little gal. There's a lot of gals because it was the Protestant women of the chapel. I'm glad Dinah was with me to protect me. I've never seen that much estrogen in one place in all my life. <laughs> I'm sorry. But there was one lady that came to me <laughs> and she walked up to me and she said, Wayne, she was crying. She had written down the things that I'd said. It'd been a long time since I've ever seen somebody that, that hungry. And she said, now wait a minute, let me get this straight because I've been trying so hard and I can't seem to get there. And every day it was getting clearer and clearer to her. And I mean, she was one of the most precious ladies and she's just so humble and she never wanted to get in your way, but she just wanted to make sure she's hearing it right. And I couldn't help but think of the drinking of the Holy Spirit, the water that, that quenches a, a thirsty heart that, that clears up a parched land, a parched life when the Holy Spirit of God ministers truth and life within a person. So we're unified in the body of Christ. It's one body. We're many members. We're very diverse. How do we get there? How, how, do we, how are we fused together? We were all baptized with the means of the same Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit lives in you that lives in me. And not only that, it's the Holy Spirit that nourishes us and imparts life through the gifts that he's given. And so therefore we see the picture broadening as what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthian church. But then fourthly, we're essentially different. Do you realize how, how essential it is that we are different? Uh, diversity is essential to unity. Look at verse 14. For the body is not one member, but he says the body is many. You see, the Corinthian church was divided where it ought to be unified and was trying to be uniform where it ought to be diverse. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of churches are today. On the one hand, they were, they were divided over leadership. He says in chapter one and verse 12, some of you are of Paul, and it's the worst thing in the world, folks, to get yourself attached to a preacher or to a church or anything else. You just live attached to Jesus. He says, some of you are of Paul, some of you are of Apollos, some of you are of Cephas. So they were divided over leadership. They had all kinds of divisions over leadership. But on the other hand, it was divided because they kept trying to imitate each other's gifts especially the, the, the showy ones such as tongues and so on. Look at the last part of chapter 12 and verse 27. And you see by the way Paul addresses it, what's going on in the church there. He says in verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues or languages, are, all are not apostles, are they? <laughs> all are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? 
And do all of them speak, do not all, all do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now we haven't got there yet. We'll, we'll cover that when we get there. I'm just reading it this morning. But basically you can see, he's saying, what are you trying to be this when you're that? Why do you want this gift when you have this gift? And what they're doing, they're trying to imitate one another's gifts, especially the ones that were the ones up front and the ones that everybody was awed over. Many seem to be unhappy with their own gifts. <laughs> this is what happens when you try to make something all the same. It's in diversity that unity is made possible. And see, they were envious of one another. Now, envy is a sign of our flesh. And this is the sign of the Corinthian church. Everybody wanted a gift that somebody else has. You say, how do you really know that, Wayne? Can you give it? Well, look in verse 15. I mean, the way he addresses this shows you the problem that they had. I wonder if you've ever seen somebody with a gift that was so, so rich and so exciting that you said, God, what's wrong with me that I don't have that gift? And you begin to beat yourself up because you don't think that you're important to the body because you didn't get a gift like that person had. Man, this is so important. We were over in Europe and several years ago with Bill and all these different countries were there. And we were teaching, I was teaching out of Romans 12, not out of this passage. And I was just expressing how we're all gifted differently. And one little lady just, just stood up and started crying. They do things differently over there. And after it was over, I said, what is wrong? She said, for the first time in my life, I came to realize God does love me. I am special to him. He gave me a gift, but it's never gonna be a gift that everybody's gonna see but it's still important to him. You see, when you try to mimic or you're, you're envious of other people's gifts, that breeds all kinds of division among you. Look at verse 15. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. In other words, he says, correcting their, their thinking. He said, hey, that doesn't mean it's not a part of the body. This means it's not as recognizable. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. You see, the foot thought that since it wasn't a hand, then it had been left out. Didn't realize that the hand, you can't walk on your hands. Now, some people can, but that's not very good. You walk on your feet. The hands are important, but the feet are important. And the ear thought that since it wasn't an eye, then it, it, how would everybody I, I, it was left out in the body. He goes on, he says in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God, he comes right back to where he was in verse 11. This whole thing wraps itself around verse 11. But God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. And like I said, it comes right back to verse 11 where it says the Holy Spirit gives the gifts as he wishes, as he wills. It's God's choice. God knows that the human body needed a foot, so he made a foot. God knew that the human body needed a hand, so he made a hand. God knew that the human body needed a gallbladder. <laughs> so he gave him a gallbladder. I never thought about my gallbladder. You know, a thought hit me as I was, I was studying this. When you start thinking about a gift, then evidently something's amiss because the only time we ever think of anything specific about our bodies is when it's not functioning the way it ought to function. I found out about my gallbladder. I was in Cocoa Beach, Florida, First Baptist Church down there speaking. 
I went back to the room. We went out to eat with some folks who had the worst food. I would not, no, I'm sorry. But it was some Russian beet salad. I think that they ought to be put in jail for serving this stuff. I don't know if it was that or what, but at two o'clock in the morning, folks, I woke up and I knew, I thought I was gonna die. If you've never had a gallbladder attack, help yourself. You, you remember what I'm telling you. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when, if you're hitting a certain age. It's gonna come, it's gonna come. That's what they told me and they were exactly right. I mean, that thing hit me and I, I struggled with it until 5.30. I didn't wanna wake anybody up. Jack Arthur, precept ministers had flown down with me. He knew some people in the church and just went to be a part of the meeting. I called him at 5.30 in the morning. I said, Jack, Jack, I've got trouble. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, I'm about to die. You're gonna to have to get me to the hospital. I was supposed to speak at a promise keepers thing for the whole coastal area of Florida. And I said, forget that, buddy. You get me to the hospital. I walked in the hospital and the guys could tell I was miserable. And I just said, listen, before you say anything, I'm, I'm tired and I'm sick and I don't wanna talk a lot. But let me just let you know, I do have gallstones. They have already found them. And I have a feeling that's what I'm having. I've never had a gall attack, gallstone attack before, but I believe that's what it is. Sure enough, that's what it was. They had three surgeons gonna take it out for me while I was there. And I was just praying, oh God, get me home. Just get me home. And I got home, and when I got home, 7.30, was, they had drugged me up enough on the plane. I don't even remember the flight. <clears throat> they had drugged me up enough to where I didn't know where I was. So I thought, I think we can make it till Tuesday. We scheduled surgery on Tuesday. At 9.30, I was back in the emergency room down here at Erlanger. And at two o'clock in the morning, they gave me a room. At eight o'clock, the doctor walked in and said, would you like to have it out today? I said, look, I don't, right now, just cut my head off with it, would you? Just do something and give me some relief. That little bitty, have you ever seen a gallbladder? Have you ever seen the stones that go in those things? And they're little bitty things. I mean, why would you ever pay attention to it? Only when it's not functioning correctly. Now, if you've got to talk about a gift, what is wrong with you? Because when you talk about the giver, the gifts take care of themselves. Because it's one body, it's one spirit, and the purpose of that one spirit is to cause Christ to be glorified and make sure that the body functions together. So why would we ever put emphasis on gifts? Why would we not put our emphasis on the giver? When we walk in oneness with him, we can walk in oneness with one another. A believer, like an organ of the human body, lives for the head, because it's the head that gives instructions to the body. It's just like, a, just like a human body, just like a believer. Christ is the head. But now listen, if he lives for Christ and lives his life for him, now listen, he is in fact living his life for everyone else. In other words, you don't live your life for others. I hear that all the time. Go out and love others. No, go out and love Christ. If you go out and love Christ, he in you will enable you to love others. It's, it's serving the head. And when you serve the head, you are in fact serving the body because the head is controlling what the body is doing. That's the key. So any choice you make or I make, and remember this, It'll be helpful in your walk with the Lord. Any choice you make or any choice I make in surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ is not only a choice for his sake and not only a choice in the long run for our own sake, it's a choice for others' sake because the head knows what's best, not just for one member of the body, but for the whole body of Christ. When all live for one who is Christ,
then one then is enabled to live for all. All for one and one for all. It's not all for all or one for all and then all for one. It has to go the other way around. Right back to where the giver is. So I think what Paul is doing here in chapter 12 in my understanding of it is he's trying to bring them full circle to say, listen folks, you're the ground's level at the foot of the cross and whatever he gives to this one and whatever he gives to that one does not matter because he's the one who causes the body to function and he's the one who causes it all to work for the glory of the one who lives within it. So live your life surrendered and attached to him. Live your life not attached to self or pleasing men. Leave your, live your life attached to him. And when you do, you'll be affecting positively all the other members of the body in which you're one. That's the key. All for one and one for all. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 